In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. We're making an ad. Napping ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad! That's the ad. That's the ad. And welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and we are joined, as always, by our co-producer, co-host, and friend, Matt Kelly. And we are talking about, get ready for it, Mr. Howard Hughes. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs For good times, the best times You can't go wrong We'll two-step, a new step It won't be long When the Dixieland's are playing Soon you'll be swaying So come on, sing along All right, Gelsey, you have been traveling like a fiend, but while you were traveling, you were writing down topics that you wanted to make sure that we covered uh, in the coming year of Before My Time. And one of the big ones that you were ready to go with that you wanted to talk about is the films of Howard Hughes. Oh, yeah. And not just any films, because he did produce a lot of films. He definitely put more than just a foot into Hollywood. But I wanted to focus in on the two that he directed and kind of had the biggest, mm, I would say, historical impact, but kind of the biggest uproar, too, with both films. And that is, of course, maybe not, of course, if you don't know, Hell's Angels and The Outlaw. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I thought we would start real quickly with um, just some fun facts about Howard Hughes. Because why not? I just want you all to know um, who he is. Can I ask a dumb question? Because I think I know who Howard Hughes is, but I could be wrong. Is he the person who kind of infamously became a bit of a weird shut-in germaphobe later in his life? Yes. If you have seen the movie The Aviator. (laughs) Okay. It is the guy from The Aviator. It's The Aviator. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Howard Hughes in The Aviator. Um, If you haven't seen it, 
It's a fine film. I highly recommend it. And need I say more, Leo. Like, always watch Leo. I I thought so, but also Howard Hughes is one of those names that could be any director from the 30s and 40s. Yeah, I I could be like, he only directed two films, but he's actually the inventor of the telescope. No, that's how, never mind. I was going to say the typewriter and telescope came out, and I was like, you're dumb, Gelsey. We all know that. Yeah, he's a a business tycoon. He was a record-setting pilot, an engineer, a film producer, a philanthropist. He was known is one of the most influential and richest people of his time. Um, Later, he did um, become well-known for his eccentric behavior and reclusive lifestyle oddities. He had really bad OCD, um, chronic pain, increasing deafness. If you've seen The Aviator, he ends up like locking himself in hotel rooms and um, peeing in jars. His nails, when they finally did find him when he passed away, his hair was real long. He was 90 pounds, and I believe he was like 6'4 or something, and he got down to 90 pounds. His fingernails were long, just kind of a bizarre guy. I, uh, upon learning more about him, it's been a while since I've seen The Aviator, which I do love that movie, but he has crashed his planes a lot, and most, um, I'm going to go into a couple like, some fun facts you should know, but he's hit his head a lot. He actually has some massive brain injuries. And if you are an avid listener of this, you know I'm no stranger to head injuries. And I'm kind of thinking that like the capacity of the brain injuries he's had, that might play into why he kind of went a little cuckoo. Um, Yeah. I I mean, did we really know at that time, were we really knowing or reporting anything on concussions? Not at all. We we were playing football with leather helmets, right? (laughs) We barely are now. It's really sad and scary. (laughs) And uh, No, it's not a joke. It's concussion um, studies didn't get more serious until the movie Concussion came out. That movie changed the game and really made a huge difference for it. And it's still, I mean, that's why today we're still changing the rules of the NFL, like within the last five years. Even my father is a pediatrician and from the start of his practice to now, what they're saying to do if you have a concussion is completely different. I mean, within a span of our lifetime and that's scary and sad and it needs to be more well addressed anyways moving on with mr howard hughes um a couple fun facts to know about him they're going to be a little random no no here there because we're going to dive into the movies but um he was born with a bit of a silver spoon in his mouth he was a millionaire by 18 years old his father invented a drill that revolutionized the oil industry and was patented in 1909 he passed away and so he was left as the sole heir at nine um at 18 and he took off for hollywood in 1925 with that money and a dream and a suitcase probably more than a suitcase if you're a millionaire at that time which would translate to lots of millions today i was gonna say that's a that's a millionaire in 19 1925 (laughs) yeah this is great depression like he's fucking rich as fuck arguably one of the richest people and he's done nothing the united states and has done nothing nothing to earn it like listen listen i i will i i do not support the you know i people shouldn't be able to live a life with a silver spoon in their mouth but what yes they should i want one Give me the silver <laughs> but, spoon. Give me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you and I both would, uh, you know, we got to give credit where credit's due. If we were born into rich families, I think both of us would be like, I'm going to make movies. <laughs> like, Fuck yeah. I would pack my cute little Louis Vuitton suitcase and be like, Hollywood, here I come. And you know what? 1925, 2023, you've got move, you, you've got money and you go to Hollywood, you can make it. That's It's basically like who has more money is the game. And it sucks because most people are struggling and don't have it. And they're like, he lived in his car till he was 50 and then he made it. And I'm like, is that what it takes? Because I don't know. I don't think I'm to live in my car till I'm 50 not I'm just saying anyways rant over so um he makes some movies this that he eventually does um after 
he makes Hell's Angels, which again, we're going to go into that in detail in a second. But he ended up purchasing RKO in 1948. The studio was struggling. And at that time when he did that, he was very eccentric too. So he would investigate his employees' political parties and fire them. So when he took over RKO, he fired three-fourths of the staff and shut down production for six months to investigate everyone's political party. Obviously, if you're a communist, you're out. Because, you know, we're coming into yeah. the 50s and that's when that witch hunt started. So um, this is a fun <laughs> fact. He offered Elizabeth Taylor. Like I said, these have no rhyme or reason on these facts. I, I need <laughs> you to know these things just to, to know of these movies. Not at all. They're just funsies, faxies. Um, he offered Elizabeth Taylor $1 million to marry him. Yeah. Ooh, and she said, she... No, no, she did not. Even though she was married like a shitload of times. So she had nothing against marriage. But I was going to say, that's why I was just like, I don't know. I know she's had a lot of husbands. Like, maybe Howard <laughs> Hughes the was block, on there. Driver. Yeah, a million dollars. <laughs> she was like, I'm Elizabeth Taylor. I don't need that. And she's right. She's beautiful. So this was a fun <laughs> fact. Tony Stark is modeled after Howard Hughes. I knew that. I knew. So, well, is it. And Tony... you didn't know who he was? Pah, pish posh. Well, that. Well, once I knew who, did, so so again, everything comes back to The Simpsons, right? Like, <laughs> of course, I Howard Hughes has been parodied so many times in sight gags on The Simpsons, um, and I remember specifically two of them. One was um, Mr. Burns opens up a casino and he becomes a germaphobe, and they show him like walking around with like super long nails and a robe with like sho- tissue boxes as his yes, shoes. Yes, yes, he wore tissue boxes yeah. as shoes as well. Yes. Yeah, this and then uh, a similar joke was uh, they were doing like a behind the scenes of The Simpsons, and they were naming the people who created The Simpsons, and it was like abstract drawings of each one of them and i want to say it was james woods but i for james l woods who, or brooks whoever it was one of like the three big people that were part of the simpsons for their photo was like them also like emaciated in a robe in bed typing on a typewriter with like super long fingernails like that's what i something love about, about the, the long simpsons fingernails the little like, like nods they give and it's only like if you know you know what are we all doing on instagram now like i k no if I Y K Y K is what people put just like the acronym. And so it's like, if you know, you yeah. know, which I yeah. didn't know that was a thing. Side note, my, my really good friend Allie did that one time and it was a picture of her in a house that she is now living in, but it was before she got it and wrote that. And I thought, I thought it was like, like, I'm so excited. And that's why I read it that way. And I was like, and I didn't know. And then we were talking about it and I was like, wait, what? I don't know about you. We, you and I off the air have talked about uh, our experiences on dating sites, but there has mm. 1000% been times where I've had to Google things in people's profiles because oh, I'm like, I'm like, I'm too old. I don't know what this means. I don't know what anything means. Literally, I'm always asking my friends, like somehow my friends, like I'm, they're in generally the same age group and like they know and I don't. I'm like, what? What like TED talk did you listen to that I fucking yeah, missed? My- like, <laughs> like I know YOLO, but that's about it. Like I, I have to re- like Google fucking everything. Everything. My oh, my one God. of my favorite family screenshots is a text chat that my sister sent me, where my my dad texted her and said, "Someone said IDK in the chat," and he texted my sister privately and was like. What does IDK stand for? And Julie wrote back, I don't know. And he said, neither do I. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Who's on first? It's one of those. That's amazing. No, it's um, it's quite stupid. It's ridiculous. Whatever. That's a quick way for me to probably swipe left on you, but... Yeah, you, that that be, that did take up uh, when I was becoming real. Just like I don't even know if I want to be dating anybody. 
that was like one of my my quick was like if I don't understand a word on your on your account I'm just moving on like how am I gonna understand you in person oh god and you know what I don't I don't understand anyone and no one seems to understand me so I appreciate all of you listening right now because you're the closest thing I have to love we're keeping Kelsey off the roof <laughs> you're keeping me from peeing in bottles and growing my fingernails out and wearing shoe boxes as shoes that's what you're doing right now anyway so yes. um Back to that man. So um, he actually helped invent the modern hospital bed. Again, folks, this has nothing to do with the movies we're going to talk about. I just thought these were fun facts <laughs> to prelude these movies because Howard Hughes is a really interesting person. And Leo did a great job. Love you, Leo. He's been hospitalized a lot because he crashes his planes a lot. And um, one of his stays, he actually, they didn't patent it and create it then, but he drew up a model of buttons on the side to then kind of like move the bed up and stuff like what we know now today and um, also heating controls and cooling pads because they were highly designed his design was highly um, focused on burn victims which he was again don't (laughs) crash your planes Um, so I thought that was kind of cool he did he's killed a lot of people he killed a pedestrian one time driving um, but he got off saying that he was not speeding and he was driving on the street and the pedestrian just out of nowhere jumped in front of the car. There was a witness that was like, he was driving erratically. He's probably, who knows if he was drunk or on something. Da, da, da. Again, crazy. But, um, there Welcome was, to the 1920s, though, well, baby. <laughs> the, they later, the witness came back and was like, oh, no, he was driving sane and he jumped out. And that's what you call payoff, folks. He was yeah, like, how was much? Say- Great. He was straight. <laughs> like, and again, you know, um, then. Yeah, wait, are you trying to tell me that rich white men in the 1920s may not have been the most honest people? <laughs> They were the most honest people, heaven forbid. <laughs> and you know what? They never took advantage of a woman ever. No, Mm-mm. nothing Especially bad ever happened Hollywood. back then. No. <laughs> Casting couch didn't exist. And those women are like, I'll do what it takes to get where I need. Men have taken advantage of me, so I'm going to take advantage of them to get to the top. But anyways, okay. Um, so, <laughs> Matt, I'm on Did one you today. you discover cocaine since last time we spoke? Oh, yeah. By the way, <laughs> Coke. Get yours today. Um, no, you know me. When I'm in a mood, I get hyper. Uh, I, I'm in a mood. You know what? It's been it's, a long time. We haven't seen each other face on, it's on been our a long virtual time. chat in a bit. I get depressional winter blues. They've hit hard this week. I'm in a little bit of a meh. I'm totally fine. Don't worry. Yeah, um, you're just also, like, hey, someone to talk to. <laughs> I'm finally. exhausted. This is the first time I feel like I've had like a couple days off since probably before Halloween. And it's like hit bad. So it yeah. makes me act like I did coke. Maybe I love I it. Maybe I, I love didn't. It. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk about Howard. He's killing more people. So he killed a pedestrian. <laughs> he killed two people in a plane crash. He. It was 1943. And it was a May flight with Ava Gardner. And he dropped Ava Gardner off in Vegas. Thank God he dropped her off. And then they crashed in Lake Mead, which, fun fact, that's where I got certified to scuba dive. So, huh. hmm. I know. So he killed um, a CAA inspector and employee, and then he paid divers $100,000 to retrieve the plane and spent over 500000 repairing that plane. So he's like, oh, dead bodies. Sorry, boys. Get my plane. He also um, suffered a severe gash on his head. But that's not, that's way after we're going to go into the Hells Angels 1930s crash where four more people died and he again sustained 
terrible injuries. He fractured his skull in that one, which again, we'll go back into Jesus in a second. Christ. So yeah. like I said, killed a lot of people, bashed his head a lot. No wonder he fashioned shoe boxes of shoes. I think I would do the same. I'm about to. Actually, you can't even see my feet right now. Secretly, <laughs> no, I'm wearing I, them. I'm on the say, verge. I, <gasps> you you look like someone who might be wearing tissue boxes <laughs> as shoes. I'm just saying. It's been for the record. It's been a bit. I have okay. fuzzy leopard socks on. I'm just for the record. I'm showing them on the video right now. Matt can vouch for it. Yeah, she pulled it out of the tissue box to show <laughs> me what sock she was wearing. Damn you, Matt! Right. <laughs> so let's let's. Oh, and also probably the biggest claim to fame that Howard Hughes has is, of course, his aviation goals, aside from killing people in his aviation um, endeavors. <laughs> he has he held multiple world airspeed records, um, and then he built in 1935 the H-4 Hercules, or and then... Um, Sorry, 1935 was the Hughes H-1 racer and then the H-4 Hercules in 1947, which we know is the Spruce Goose. Um, and yeah. it's it had it, it was considered the largest flying boat in history, having the longest wingspan of any aircraft from that time until until the time it was built until 19. Uh, shit. Sorry. Uh, 2019. It had the longest wingspan until 2019. That was like right when the pandemic hit you guys. That just happened. Holy shit. I didn't even know that. Oh, the more you yeah. know. So you're, he's pretty You're learning cool. as we're recording it. I am. I already, like, I learned a bunch. Like, look at these crazy notes. These notes look like Those are some boxes. Howard Hughes levels. This looks like I'm definitely wearing shoe boxes. Um, <laughs> but, hey, you know what? Um, okay, where are we at? Hell's Angels. So let's talk about the movie Hell's Angels that he directed, produced. It was released in 1930, and it's a pre-code war film. Uh, film. If you want to know more about Pre-Code Hollywood, folks, check out our episode 17, all about Pre-Code Hollywood. Wow, it, you really did plugging. do a I lot know, of research I today. <laughs> <laughs> I was fucking prepared. I was like, let me plug in my own episode. No, it's a really good episode. I think Pre-Code Hollywood in the 20s into the early 30s is a really interesting, fascinating time before we hit the golden era of Hollywood. And uh, just a little brief, it's basically before before there was any coding system. So anything goes on screen. So those films are really fun. There's a lot of sex, drugs, alcohol, kind of rapey vibes. It's fun. It's great. Yeah, um, there's Well, there's also, I think you and I talked about this in that episode, but a shocking amount of nudity. In the yes, lots of new movies. Yeah, because like, you're like, like this more... is 1927, and you're like, oh my <laughs> yeah. goodness, I thought they were like. More there's, I think we then. talked about the Tarzan one. Like, there's a oh, Tarzan, yeah, Tarzan movie Tarzan that's just like, like they're yeah. skinny dipping. They're it's great. I love it. I'm I live for that shit. Um, <laughs> skinny dipping is one of my favorite things to do, and I love and this Tarzan, movie so. definitely. I, I mean, from the little bit that I read about Hell's Angels, uh, boy, was this ever a pre-code? <laughs> oh, war film. oh yeah. So <laughs> it's um. It's starring Ben Loin, James Hall, and Jean Harlow. Jean Harlow, this was, she was 18 years old. This was kind of her big breakthrough. She'd done a few things before, but this is where we get to know her. And Jean Harlow was really, um, became a big starlet of pre-code and kind of that vamp. She was the real naughty, sleep around kind of girl, which again, for the early 30s, whoa, look out folks. But production on this started in 1927. And it's kind of an interesting film because it was started as a silent film. And that's how it was intended to be recorded. But about halfway, uh, no, a year and a half into production, the film The Jazz Singer comes out, and that's the birth of the talkies. So they're filming this. The Jazz Singer comes out. All of a sudden, there's sound with full-length 
features and Hughes is like, whoa, 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 I want sound on mine. So he then converts this movie and they move forward with it as an official talkie. Now, originally the lead was supposed to be played by Greta Neeson. She's a Norwegian um, silent film actress. But because now they're talking, she had a Norwegian accent. He was like, this doesn't work considering they're British. So he replaces her with Jean Harlow. Um, He did pay her what she was due and stuff. It wasn't like a complete kick to the curve. But, you know, boo-hoo, poor Greta. Um, it really brings us back to Singing in the Rain where, you know, the talkies come in and I can't stand it. But yeah. this wasn't that. She just had a Norwegian accent. So I'm sure she had a beautiful, lovely speaking voice. What up? Shout out to Greta, my main squeeze. So now that this film becomes a talkie, Hughes hires James Whale to direct the talking scenes. And this is James Whale's huge... Um, Hollywood debut now I didn't know this at the time I was like holy shit this is where he got his start he goes on in 1930 to direct Journey End 1931 Waterloo Bridge and of course most infamously in 1931 Frankenstein and then goes on to do all the Frankenstein movies so this is where he gets his uh again film Hollywood debut I have mentioned this in previous uh, episodes before but there is an awesome 1998 film called Gods and Monsters with Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser uh, about James Whale in his later years and Ian McKellen plays him it's brilliant and again if you've listened to this podcast you all know that Brendan Fraser is uh, the love of my life and so mm, of course I'm going to support it there he does go. he's a brilliant also, act uh, performance in that as well and also I mean if we're going to just be throwing numbers around uh, Frankenstein the first ever episode of Before My Time it was yeah episode <laughs> number one which seems like a million years ago it wasn't it was just a year it's like a whole lot of nothing's happened year and year. year and a half but year and a half yeah holy shit wow time weird speaking of time <laughs> if you want to check out our Twilight Zone episode woo that's how it feels <laughs> just kidding we do have one but um so this film is also kind of interesting because it's predominantly when black and white movies were still being shot, color wasn't, you know, as mainstream as as it was to become. But one scene is shot in multicolor and it's the only scene, it's the big kind of ball party uh, scene. And it's the only scene in color in Jean Harlow's career is this. Really? Yeah. That's how she was. She was a early so Hollywood conf- black and white huh. girl. I'm very confused by that in in the sense that um, the way this was explained to me. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, no, I guess that would make sense because this was an epic film. I, I was always under the impression that until, let's say, the mid-50s when they really, like when Technicolor really started to become the predominant way that movies were shot, mm-hmm. that there was like this divide of like, like the, the using color was like saved exclusively for something that was overtly epic or or fantastical um mm-hmm. and i was like well what how does the ballroom like obviously it's a war film so like i could see the epic scenes being in color does something happen in this ballroom scene that really necessitates that color change or I, i'm not, not really? exactly sure why um <clears throat> you know, it just says it just one... seems like a weird choice. You it know does. what I mean? Like it, it's it... different than like Wizard of Oz going from black right, and white that's when like we're a in magical Kansas thing. to color. Yeah, yeah. Like... And I'm, I'm not exactly sure. It, I couldn't really find why. It just says one talking scene filmed in multicolor but printed by Technicolor provides the only color film footage of Gene Harlow. And then it says multicolor was not prepared to print the number of inserts needed for the wide release Hughes wanted. So. I think there was maybe more intention to have a few more gotcha. colored, if not the whole film, but the they didn't have the technology to mass release films at that Technicolor because 
Um, multicolor. It also seems like it was just a, to say that he did it to a certain it, extent. You know what? It, seems- it kind of seems like he's that person. I mean, he's got all this money. Yeah. He only, you know, he came to Hollywood in 1925. This is 19. He started this film in 1927. So it's one of his earlier films. Um, it doesn't get when released until he, 1930. But he lied about how much the movie cost so that he could claim yes. that it was the most expensive movie ever made. Yes, so, he did. And that's not so the, the idea first of just shooting time. something in color just to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, look what we did. <laughs> like, Absolutely. He potentially, he said that, um, he reported that the expenses was over $4 million to film. And it was a myth that Howard Hughes himself spread around when actually it was about $2.8 million, which for the time was still a huge success still, and did really yeah. well. Um, but the film grossed about... It was 2.5. I already thank checked you. that. Oh, part. thank you. I was like, yeah. why did I not write that down? I write down all this. No, 2.5 million, which is Because it's technically, huge. it lost money, but it, lost it was... Mo- exactly, it was, but it still was a It was like a success. massive... Yeah, it was a huge success, but, but it was, I think, one of the first so times expensive. that a huge success wasn't profitable. Yeah. Because he spent too much money, but it wasn't $4 million. It was 2.8. Um, but he does that again in the second film. We're going to talk a little bit about The Outlaw. He does something similar where he kind of pushed these false... It's brilliant. I mean, we still do it today. Look at all like the false headlines and stuff. I'm not going into political stuff, but you know, we do it. So we, we call it clickbait and now on the internet it's covered in clickbait. So, um, Howard Hughes was ahead of his time. Just like I'm yeah. behind my time. No, I'm ahead of my time. Yeah, no. we're, we're before the time. We're before the time, but this is before my, I don't know. I'm not in the right time. I'm so not he in the was right before, frame of mind. That's what's real. He was before his before my time. Oh no, I've one gone cross-eyed. One plus two plus one. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's one plus one plus two plus two plus one. Um, <laughs> if you guys are lost, it's okay. I am every fucking day of my life. But we were quoting Love a mix it. of this Clue and then I brought in Austin Powers. So just to let you in on the Cool Kids the Club, folks. <laughs> Holy shit, where's the Tylenol? All right. Um, <laughs> so, this is our best episode, everybody. Is it? Yeah, I kn- you know what? I should talk about crazy people more because I didn't know how much I relate. Um <laughs> Fuck, give me a million dollars and send me to Hollywood. Okay, I'm getting it together. Where was I? All right, so we're going to talk about the crash. Let's talk about killing more people. Um, But let's talk about the aerial stunts. So this film is about dogfighting in World War One. is the premise. I'm not going to really... I know I love how we're talking about the film, and I'm like, fuck the plot. But um, it's... I feel like you could say that about a lot... Like, look, you and I are like vintage-loving fiends, but let's be honest, a lot of the silent film leading into the talkies mm. era films, it is like paper thin plot. It's more about like the spectacle. This, and the- this was a two hour movie that I fucking watched. And I'm still like, <laughs> what was the plot? Like, it, it's, just- <laughs> it's OK, it was I was more, cleaning was out my closet at the showing- same time. But <laughs> but no, but it, I mean, it's a two hour long movie, a two hour plus movie. But like mm. at the end of the day, this is a movie that's more about like, look at these fight scenes. You know, exactly. like it's it's more it, about it spectacle than story. Sp- yeah, it was. The, yeah. the aerial stunts is what it was about. You know, you got two uh, British brothers who are fighting in World War One and they're both go to Oxford. One has a girl. The Jean Harlow. She's like, I don't really love him. I want to be free and sleep around and then sleeps with his friend. And then, you know, she's a little hussy and his brother's like, great, I will take the panty dropper. And, you know, it's classic. And then they go and fight. And then one of the brothers kills the other one in prison because they're captured by the Germans. And it's just like, oh, but that's my plot. Is that a, is that a good plot story? Is that that works? I just like the, the Jewish part of Gelsey <laughs> came out in full force at the oh. end of that. <laughs> 
You might as well just yell to oy vey. It was a big, you know what? I'm going to give this two thumbs up and an oy vey. And that's not the good kind of thumbs up, folks. I don't know what they referred to. So the aerial stunts were the big to-do, the big uh, if you want to say. Let's keep going with that uh, theme. And um, they they were designed by Hughes because he was a pilot himself uh, by this point and obviously becomes to be well known as a aviator, the title of the big film I'm telling you all to watch with Leo. Um, yeah. And pilot Harry Perry. <clears throat> that's a fun name. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, mom and dad. Can't we do a little better? So the two of them designed and coordinated the aerial stunts, if you will. And the aerial photography was filmed by Elmer Dyer, who was the first cameraman to specialize in aerial photography. So he then grew his career in that specialization and did a very good job. I mean, considering that this was, you know, the film started in 1927 and you're watching these this aerial photography and the stunts, it is impressive. Like, I was impressed. Yeah. Um yeah, that's all I got to say. But Hughes also directed the scenes from overhead. And so he was kind of flying around and being like, now go laughter, however they did it. I don't have actual video yeah. footage of it. But um, it was, yeah, it's an interesting, it's crazy. So Paul Mance was the principal stunt pilot. And he led a huge crew. There was, I have a number. They used 137 pilots for the final scene. Most of them were actually World War One fighter pilot veterans which I thought was really cool but the last maneuver that Hughes wanted in his film the main pilot Paul Mance considered it too dangerous and it was some kind of like he wanted the plane to go like diving down at the last minute pull up so Paul wouldn't do it he's like I like to play with danger. I've got an adrenaline junkie side to me, which I relate to you, Paul, but he knows when to say no. I like to think I relate to you, Paul, but sometimes I go a little too far. <laughs> it's in every aspect of my life. <laughs> Somebody love me. Anyways, um, no, so Hughes did it himself. Howard Hughes was like, fine, I want this. I'm going to do it, which I also relate to that. Um, and Paul was right. He crashed, like, epically. Huge disaster. He ended up killing four people. It was, let's see, who did he kill? Three pilots and one mechanic died doing that. And then Hughes ends up in the hospital with a fractured skull. The first of many. So he shouldn't have listened to Paul. Life story. If you get one thing from this episode, ladies and gentlemen, always listen to Paul. If you got a friend named Paul, take his advice. He's usually, Paul's Unless he's a crackhead advice. on the street, don't listen to Paul. Well, you know, he may be that way because he had seen some things and he knows what to tell you. Not you to know do, what? So. Good point. Always listen to Paul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the big, you know, to do in, in Hell's Angels. But it still, again, was did very well. It was a box office hit, even though they lost money. And let's see. Reception. We're going to read the reception now. They had... Their, uh, what is it called, premiere at the Grauman's Chinese Theater, May 27th, 1930. And it was star-filled. Charlie Chaplin was there. Who else was there? Gloria Swanson. Yeah, I saw Cecil DeMille was there. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's everyone about town was was there. And I think they actually, in the Aviator show, they have the premiere. And I believe Gwen Stefani plays Jean Harlow in that little scene, which was a funsies time because she was just coming out with her solo career and I was obsessed yeah. with Gwen. So still love her. Love you, Gwen. But um, yeah, it's it's very predominantly pre-code Hollywood because there's a lot of, you know, sex. I, Jean Harlow is like, 
going at it with all these men. The first time we see her on screen, she comes out of the bushes, putting her shoulder, her strap back on, and and the soldier that she just fucked in the bushes is like basically zipping up his pants and you're just like holy shit and she's <laughs> about to be met by the man that we've already met that's like i love my girl and she's the most honest true and you're like ooh, he did not swipe left when she wrote <laughs> id k so that's a problem but um they also use a lot of language you know they say son of a bitch god damn it for christ's sakes ass hell um god which you can't even say that once the haze codes come in so those are just things that are once the code comes out those are not allowed in films which they are in this one so yes my final thing about this movie there's so much to say about it and i just pick out the randoms but it's kind of fun there's the scene um when gene harlow is with uh one of the guys, I, I forget who. I like how I watched it and I act like I didn't even. But she's in this really seductive showing dress. But she she says, would you be shocked if I put on something more comfortable? And that's where we get that line that's so you know famous. Yeah. Let me slip into something more comfortable. Um, it's kind of where we got that from, which I thought was fun because you hear it all the time. I say it all the time um, to myself, by myself. but And then I actually just get sweatpants on. <laughs> it's good. I mean, they are more comfortable. <laughs> you know, honest. but I I will be the person that also sits in the most uncomfortable thing. Like I have a robe with like all these feathers I got from like, this, like 1930s laundry store and I will sit and be alone in that cuz I'm like it's what I want to wear and it's I'm ridiculous. <laughs> it's great. So no. I know, I know it's crazy. <laughs> Me ridiculous. So we're going to jump forward um to The Outlaw, which was the other film directed by Howard Hughes in 1943. This is a Western film, which kind of revolves around the fictional plot of Billy the Kid. And it should be noted that, like, Howard Hughes directed two movies, but he produced a lot of movies. And and I think, I mean, a lot of them were important movies, but one that I jumps to my mind as as particularly crucial was the the original Scarface. He he produced yes. the first Scarface. That's right. He he there there is a distinct the man liked he liked the epic action gangster war now western like mm-hmm. he he wasn't really you're not going to find Howard Hughes producing a lot of like screwball comedies or anything that was not his uh no. his focus he liked <laughs> yeah they're very all war heavy and there's always a strong female not wearing a lot of clothes in every single film like yeah. even if you yeah. scroll over his um the filmography section on his wikipedia page and just scroll over and the poster for every movie will come out each and every one has a- almost 90% of them has a woman in the poster with little clothing on. Eat every single well, one. I'm I, doing I, it right now. It's it's fun. I was going to say the Hell's Angels poster is literally Gene Harlow's face and a plane. Like it's yeah. it's selling it on well, on the woman more than the than which the, they did the on stars. most. Yeah. yeah, they once that movie it was like a re-release or something they they kind of pushed her to top billing, which happened as well as in The Outlaw with um this film was starring Jack Buettel, Butel, well, whatever. Um, Thomas Mitchell, Walter Houston, and Jane Russell. This was kind of one of her breakthrough roles in Hollywood, which I absolutely love Jane Russell because one of my favorite films is Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Marilyn Monroe yeah. and Jane Russell. That's how I always knew her. So it's fun to see her in this film so young. So, so young. Just 
the most random thing before we jump into the outlaw. What, I was this whole thing clicking, hasn't been so random? Yeah, <laughs> just clicking through some of these random posters, and I clicked on to Son of Sinbad from 1955, which is only a 91-minute movie, which is very short by Howard Hughes' um, standards. But uh, it's all it says here is that Son of Sinbad is a 1955 American adventure film. It takes place in the Middle East and consists of a wide variety of characters, including over 127 women. Point and case. <laughs> Point and case. Give yeah. me planes, war, and women. And you know what? There That's are more the- women than minutes in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Ooh, that's a good, that's a way to sell it. I'm going to get that back on the charts. Son of Sinbad, I think we can take it around. With that slogan, you can't deny a good marketing scheme. Um, hey, you know what? He's giving the people what they want. We are still doing it. We are still putting women in tight leather jumpsuits and exploding shit and their box office yeah. successes. And I have to say, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I pay and yeah. I go and I'm like, I enjoy the leather and explosions together. Yeah. Look, it's better than no leather and no explosions. That's true. What would you rather have? <laughs> the leather or, or the explosion? Uh, don't tell me now. You can all tell me later on our Facebook or something. I'll plug that. Yeah. Anyways, okay, let's go into the outlaw. Um... So, yeah, Jane Russell's big breakthrough, and she became regarded as a sex symbol kind of from this movie, and they later advertised billing her as the star, the sole star. Even the poster to The Outlaw is just Jane Russell in the haystack yep. with a gun and her clothes kind of ripped. They did um, – there was so much controversy over this poster, these scenes, and they actually photoshopped Jane's clothes more ripped, the skirt – shorter and I think when she went to I don't know if it was like New York or something with her mom they had these huge billboards and she was mortified and and furious because she didn't photograph in that little clo- that's not what she was led to believe um quite you know even though the the movies the scenes are quite raunchy for the time if if you ask me they literally yeah. roll in the hay in this movie Rolling the hay. Literally. I actually looked it up. I was like, is this where that phrase comes from? I mean, who knows? Everything comes from something because they like legitimately, she's Billy the Kid. Again, fuck plot. It's just, it's a Western. Just watch it. But she's like hiding and she's trying to shoot Billy the Kid because he's staying in town for the night and they put him in the farm. And then she jumps out and they get into like a fight. And so they're rolling in the hay. And she's kind of this tough-ass chick, but also at that time very much like every man's like, shut up. And they're like, okay. But then he like rapes her in the barn. I was like, is this what's going on right now? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So, but then she marries him and like falls in love with him because women are weak. Uh, I pretend like I'm not, but sometimes I am. I'm not going to go too much into the movie, even though I said I was, but let's talk about a couple of, we're just going to talk about Jane Russell. That's all I care about. But the big to do with this movie was Jane Russell's breasts. And uh, Howard Hughes wanted her to look like she had these massive pushed up boobs without seeing the lining of her bra. So he actually created an underwire that already existed, the underwire push-up bra, but he designed a new bra for her, um, which I think does end up kind of playing in, I'm sure at some point into the industry of, brassieres that we now uncomfortably wear but it was this crazy like it let, let's see it said it allowed the breast to be pushed upward and the bra straps to be moved away from the necks exposing more of her bosom now Jane Russell later said that she never wore it in the movie and he never knew she said he wasn't gonna make me take my clothes off to check it so I just told him I had it on she did end up <laughs> kind of like 
tightening the straps of her own bra and like pushing it to make it look. She's like, yeah, I've got it on because she said it was the most uncomfortable, ridiculous thing ever. So she didn't. But that bra now is in um, a museum, a classic film museum, which is great. You can go check it out. I don't know. It's called Planet Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I love Planet Hollywood. Side note, my sister talked about after she got married, there's this thing you can do with your wedding dress, which is basically you get it preserved and kind of put in a case and you can hang on your wall and people do it and I was and my sister's talking about it and I was like you're literally gonna look like you live in planet Hollywood and she died so much and that made her not she's like you're so right that's so tacky I was like it is sorry (laughs) if any of you have done that to your wedding dress but come on (laughs) unless you were like in a movie that'd be kind of cool I guess if you're like yeah anyways side note um so there was a lot you know now this is 1943 so the code does exist and there was a lot of problems um within this that they were going to pull the movie because of, you know, the sex scenes, the, her, her cleavage was a huge problem. And so they only had the, what it was in 1943, it was in theaters for one week and then it was pulled in violations of the production code. Then um, the film was widely released in 1946 by RKO Pictures and it premiered the film in San Francisco where it became a box office hit. And it had earned $3 million by the end of 1946. So it did great. But the film was actually complete in 1941. But Hughes had, like I said, had it a lot of trouble getting it approved by the Hollywood Production Code Administration due to the bosoms. And Hughes reluctantly removed about 40 feet or like a half a minute of footage that was predominantly just her breasts like he like really honed in on close-ups and this that so even now the version you'll watch you're like there was more of it um and 20th century even decided to cancel its agreement to release it and he stood to lose millions of dollars but because he's a businessman and he's creative he created a scheme and kind of worked into it so he even had his managers called ministers and women's clubs and housewives informing them about the lewd picture he was about to release and the public responded by protesting and trying to have the film banned which then in response created a higher um interest and intrigue and publicity so everyone wanted to go see this movie that was being so brilliant again kind of back to spreading the rumor of hell's angels costing four million dollars this one he was like call and be like, have you heard? Oh my God, don't go see it and cause this uproar, which then caused it to be even more successful. Yeah. There's, I mean, you could almost say he was kind of the originator of there's no such thing as bad press, like realizing Mm -hmm. like, oh, here we go. The worst, the the more that people are like, oh, this movie's too expensive. It's not ever going to make its budget back. The more people are like, well, let's see it. Let's see this 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 financial failure that this is certainly going to be or like oh this movie's so lewd like they're gonna we might never get to see it if we don't see it right now because they might pull it out of theaters any minute like it's kind of like also why uh what's the movie the room or like the world's worst movie ever created like it's such a cult classic now because everyone's like i have to see this piece of shit like i have to see how bad it is yeah 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 no i mean there's it's there is something to be said about it hey what works works (laughs) And then it's after this that's kind of slowly we learn. Then Howard Hughes slowly starts to lose his mind after this one, right? He dies in 1976. He he was around for a minute. Like, yeah, God, he was six six four and down to 90 pounds when they found him. It was just, it was kidney failure. He's He was a mess. And because of all his pain, he was in so much pain because he crashed so many freaking planes. Um, yeah. He got addicted to code 
codeine and oh he injected it yeah anyways he's a mess but yeah those are just some random fun facts and a little insight on the two movies he directed that's that's what i got for you maybe i left out some main things and you're going kelsey that was ridiculous you didn't even give us a plot i'm like do you really need one nah (laughs) the answer's no we had fun in the darkest corners of the internet A nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. We're making an ad. Napping ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. All right, Gelsey, so... We made mention to it, but let's just take, before we do our normal outro, we can talk a little bit about The Aviator. Yeah. Um, one of, I, I actually think it's one of Scorsese's best, and I mean, he's a guy who's got a pretty fantastic career, but I really love The Aviator. I, I think I it's too. one of his top films. I 1,000% agree. It's it's an amazing class. Again, I, I, class. Um, Wow. Amazing film. I think I just saw the word class on my screen, and that's weird how the brain works. Oh, no. Too many plane crashes, Kelsey. Um, (laughs) It is one of – and the cast. That's what I was trying to say. The cast is incredible. Of course, anything with Leo, you know I'm going to be behind it. And we have um, Kate Blanchett as Katherine Hepburn. She does a phenomenal job, and and I I love them, and that dynamic and their play off each other is, is great. So it's definitely one I highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah, no, and if there are people who are diehard Howard Hughes fans that feel like we have not even scratched the surface and they want more Howard Hughes conversations, where can they go to let us know that? Yeah, I was like, they can't come to me to get more. That's all I got on the Hughes, but you can let me know how up in arms you are about us not giving enough attention to Mr. Howard Hughes himself on the Instagram. You can find us at before my time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search before my time will pop up. Let us know how outraged you are or let us know if you enjoyed this crazy ride of nonsensical nonsense. 
I'm just continuing it. I just decided to go into like a 1930s broadcasting voice because I thought you might enjoy it. But yeah, let us know. And while you're here, give us a five-star review if you feel like it because you know, you feel like it. No, we appreciate each and every one of you listening every week. I love you so much and I can feel the love right back. I'll see you next week and have a lovely, beautiful day. Goodbye. Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. We're making an ad. Napping ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 